views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky. Peace, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. I'm the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and educate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist, spoken word poet Max Parker, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with, uh, with projects and people who help combat it. Today is July 26, 2017, broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We are less than a month away from the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C., August 19th, the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history. On this day in history, 1847, the Republic of Liberia, formerly a colony of the American Colonization Society, declares its independence under pressure from Britain, the United States hesitantly accepted Liberian sovereignty, making the West African nation the first democratic republic in African history. The Constitution, modeled after the U.S. Constitution, Hey, Max. Hey, buddy. Uh, this Scotty, man, you're breaking up on this really bad. I know you broadcast in front of the road and what have you. So, um, yeah, just want to let you know. Let me see if I can uh, fix something. Oh, man, I got all kind of stuff popping up on my uh, my desktop right now that I didn't even open. Max, can you hear me? Max, are you there? Okay. Uh, while Max gets gets those issues um, worked out, you, yeah, Max, we can't hear you, man. It's going in and out. So uh, let me get through the rest of the intro, and then uh, I'll come back to you. Uh, maybe you can try calling back in, hanging up, and calling back in, and establishing a better connection. But yeah, we're getting a um, lot of. Um, in and out uh, from that line right now. 
so we aren't able to hear you fully. So as Max was saying, he said on this day in history on eight, in 1847, the Republic of Liberia, formerly a colony of the American Colonization Society, declared its independence. Under pressure from Britain, the United States hesitantly accepted Liberian sovereignty, making the West African nation the first democratic republic in African history. A constitution model after the U.S. Constitution was approved, and in 1848, Joseph Jenkins Roberts was elected Liberia's first president. Also on this day, on July 26, 1908, the FBI is born when U.S. Attorney General Charles Bonaparte orders a group of newly hired federal investigators to report to Chief Examiner Stanley W. Finch of the Department of Justice. One year later, the Office of the Chief Examiner was renamed the Bureau of Investigation. In 1935, it became the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, Max is in Columbus, Ohio today. Um, he has been participating in the People's Justice Project that will be coming up on July the 29th. Uh, we'll try to get uh, as many stories as we can and update you on the movement. Our abolitionist in profile tonight will be Ohio abolitionist Levi Colvin, who in 1854 helped found the African American Orphanage in Cincinnati. He also pressured the federal government during the Civil War uh, to establish, give me just a moment, I lost my place, to establish the Freedman's Bureau. In addition, Colvin Coffin helped African Americans establish their own businesses and obtain educa educational opportunities. The writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad today is Ralph Wright Jr., who was exonerated and released from Florida's death row on July 20th, 2017, after a circuit court acquitted him of a 2007 double murder. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the July 13th, 1863 New York City Draft Riots Massacre. Uh, have a question or comment, you can join in the conversation at 866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. Hit star star on your keypad to unmute yourself. We'll notice and we will bring you in. You can also send in your questions or make a comment via our chat room, which is located at uberconference.com slash black talk radio network. My name is Scotty and uh, we also have Max joining us. Max, do we have you back, bro? Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Hey, Scotty. I'm sorry, brother. I'm actually on my way to Ohio, and we were just driving through the mountains of West Virginia on the border of Ohio. So the mountains are taking away my reception. I'm in the car with Travel Wayne and Yusef Hussam, and uh, we're on our way to uh, be a part of a viewing of the 13th and a panel discussion, as well as some community engagements throughout the next few days. Well, certainly tell those abolitionist comrades that I said hello. Peace yeah. They're right here at my side, brother. They're loud and clear. No doubt, man. It has been a heck of a week uh, this past week. Uh, has some very uh, enlightening, exciting, and interesting experiences uh, during the Our Revolution. An event that we participated in just this past uh, 
I believe it was the 22nd. Yes, the 22nd in Charleston, South Carolina, which was a fusion event, including Democratic as well as Green Party candidates coming together to strategize on the future of the party and fusion, uh, I guess they're calling them fusion candidates. Yeah, you there, Scotty? Yeah, I'm I'm here. You we lost you there for for a second. Yeah, uh, I had asked you about that, and actually, before I even knew you were going to be participating, the Our Revolution is a entity that was created in the wake of the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign. Many of his surrogates founded that organization. Um, it is now, I think she was recently elected president, but that would be Nina Turner. I think she was a former state senator in the state of Ohio, if I'm not mistaken, right, Max? Yes. Yes. And I had expressed concern about when I go over their platform, the lack of an abolitionist uh, plank in their platform. And so, you know, I was just wondering or I was expressing frustration to you about, you know, this individual, you 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 supported a candidate who uh, supported the abolition of private prisons with the Justice is Not for Sale Act. But since his failed candidacy um, or campaign to get the Democratic nomination, we just haven't heard much on that front at all. And, you know, they were talking about racial justice is one of their planks. And I'm like, what is racial justice? Justice is supposed to be blind. Okay. Uh, justice ain't supposed to see no color. All right. Uh, um, it shouldn't be about, about colors versus colors. It should be about justice versus non-justice, as I've heard Mr. Neely Fuller talk about justice and that we need to be really focusing in on ending slavery in this racial justice you speak about is just simply a tool to put certain people into slavery that have always historically been targeted. So, um, you know, if you want to share with the listeners, you know, I'm not surprised at how you were treated at this, at this, uh, event. Well, you know, like you said, you're right. Nina Turner has been elected the president of our revolution. And here in South Carolina, they have their uh, version of it, which is our revolution, South Carolina. And it's a fusion organization, or at least that's what they're calling it. I don't know if, I don't know if I would call it fusion. It kind of sounds like a democratic takeover to me. But nonetheless, in any case, they called me in and they uh, uh, were gracious enough to allow my voice to be heard. And they were kind of selective as to what they wanted me to speak about. They wanted me to speak about immigration policies and their connection to private prison. And so I did the research on that. Uh, you know, I worked diligently when I researched. And for days, I pulled the information together. So I just showed them exactly how the immigration detention policies and the immigration quotas and the private prisons are all working hand in hand with the immigration system as part of the uh, system of slavery and human trafficking in the United States. Told me that I had a an hour had another co-presenter on the same issue who would be there. But, uh, you know, when we got there, apparently that person had had some serious 
accident, <laughs> and their car had been wrecked. So uh, it was up to me to cover a two-hour period, which I was like, you know what? I do this every Wednesday for two hours. Like, Scotty, me and you. So, yeah, two hours is not a problem. So I went in, prepared to do the two-hour thing. We started a little, a little late, and then I got into it, and I broke down the details so everybody understands where we're coming from. And some things were uncovered, like my research that I hadn't even realized. I mean, we were really with Scotty, you and me and your husband because we saw it happen. But it was really confirmed with my research. For instance, if you remember in 2014 when the immigration crisis hit crux and they had 52 to 55,000 children waiting to get into these uh, detention centers that was here that just suddenly came out of nowhere, that was a direct result of Barack Obama promising that he would create a pathway for 11 million undocumented workers or undocumented citizens to have a way to get citizenship. So when these other nations heard about that promise, they started sending their children here, like in 18, in waves. And if you remember, back in 2013, we were reporting on how the immigration detention centers in Texas and California were shutting down because they didn't have enough people. Remember that, Scotty? Yes, uh, yes, and I also remember uh, specifically MTC um, sending people across the border, sending guards across the border, and 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 saying that Barack Obama gonna give y'all amnesty and bringing people across the border who would then be detained. Right, right, and the stocks and the, the values and the facilities of these companies run by companies like the GL Group just skyrocketed behind that. If you remember, the first thing that the President Obama at the time did was ask for $3.7 billion. So for me, that explained how this rush of people suddenly came out of nowhere and rescued a failing immigration uh, detention system that was run by private industries. That really explained it to me. The same way when Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration announced that they would be phasing out the use of private prisons, the private prison stocks tanked to the point where Wall Street had to cancel trading. Well, the same effects occurred when Obama promised amnesty to as many as 11 million people. And when people outside of the United States heard this, they were like, you know what, we need to take advantage of this opportunity right now and start sending their wives and their children here to do that. And all that did was uh, put us in a position where we have a 34,000 minimum per day person in our immigration detention center. Never before in the history of the United States has any law enforcement group mandated by Congress to have a quota. This is the first time it's ever happened and it's 34,000 people are guaranteed to be in facilities at all times. Minimum. Yeah, one, one thing I, I Max, one of, yeah, one of the things that um, I need to correct you on, it wasn't Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, it was Sally Yates over at the Department of Justice who made that announcement. Remember, because Black Lives Matter Boston chapter busted Hillary Clinton out there on the campaign trail and put her on the spot for taking money from private prison lobbyists and having uh, private prison lobbyists working for her campaign. So that was Sally Yates who made that announcement um, with only literally months left in the Obama administration. 
and that I, I feel like Max, I'm I'm cynical when it comes to the Obama administration and all the symbolism and these little gestures and but I'm very cynical. I felt like that was done by design that you announced it in the in the waning months of your administration and that gave them enough time to recover and you know they were pumping in a lot of the private prisons were pumping in a lot of money to Donald J Trump's campaign because he said on the trail that uh you know he thinks private prisons are great and if uh if the Obama administration had made that announcement at the beginning let's just say a year with only a year left if he'd have made that announcement in january of 2016 as opposed to waiting till what october of 2016 then i don't think they would have had time to recover i think that the market forces would have buried the private prison industry so i think that the timing of that announcement was by design knowing that it would it would give them enough time to recover uh, with the uh, election of whoever was going to be next. Because I'm not convinced that Hillary Clinton wouldn't have revert took reversed the same policies as did Donald Trump, considering she was taking money from him. You're right on uh, all those accounts, Scotty. And uh, as, as I mentioned before, I'm in the car at the moment, so I don't have access to any of the links that we have on the website. Today I'll be uh, just following your lead with the stories and things like that and with the callers. But I did put together my research in, in a format that you could share if you get the opportunity there so people can see what I presented at our repetition and what I, I discovered and learned. And I put it all together in one big body of research. Yeah, so I did that uh, for about an hour, and I was, as I said, prepared to, to do two hours. And about an hour through, they told me that I was out of time, so I had to really close it up uh, quicker than I, I expected, which is fine. And uh, I mentioned about the millions for prisoners march on Washington, explaining what we thought and why they should be there. And I hopefully, as far as I'm concerned, connected the dots on how immigration and private prisons work together to maintain modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Immigration detention system is really just another market for these slavers, just like the homeless were a market for them. And the criminalization through marijuana laws, things like that, is another market. So it was part of a larger whole, and hopefully I got that through to them, and I think I did. But uh, after that went on, we had other speakers come on, of course. And we sat and we listened to everyone speak and prepare their piece. And then we had lunch together and then we came back. And when we came back, it was a conversation that was very interesting that began about the Constitution itself. Someone mentioned that they'd be willing to rewrite the Constitution because the Constitution is outdated, they said. Not to mention it was written by slavers. So, you know, it's just not something that we should have and we should rewrite. Very curious about this concept because I've not—it's not the first time I've heard it. It seems to be growing more and more popular that we should rewrite the Constitution. So I asked uh, the person who had spoken. They, uh, I asked—I asked the whole room if anybody else in there agreed with that idea, and about half of the room said yes. So then I followed up my questioning with saying. Do you know what the Fourth Amendment is? Nobody knew, or nobody said they knew at least. I said, do you know what the Sixth Amendment is? Same thing. Do you know what the Eighth Amendment protects you from? What, what, I mean, what, what is a guarantee? Again, nobody knew. 
And that, for me, was very telling, because it's, it's almost as if you have been programmed to discard a document that gives you rights, guaranteed rights, and replace it with something that you don't even know exists. Like, there is nothing in your mind to replace it with, and you haven't even read the document itself. You haven't read the Constitution. Here you are in politics, which should you win or take office, you'll be required to swear an oath to defend the Constitution, and you're talking about rewriting it when you haven't read it to begin with. So the people who were there literally did not know their rights at that point in time in that place, didn't know what they were. And I thought that, you know, this idea of rewriting the Constitution when you haven't even read the first edition seems to be something that is planted in people's heads rather than an idea they're coming up on their, with on their own. Because once you get rid of your rights, you're open to anything. I mean, people can do anything. And these corporations want you to get rid of your rights. It's one of the reasons why the Koch brothers is financing a movement that has now reached the, the White House called the Convention of States, where they're already a third of the way through having the required number of states they need in order to open up the Constitution for reinterpretation. Right. And, okay. yeah, you know, Max, that I had actually had uh, wrote an article a few days ago about intellectual laziness and people making comments on the United States Constitution when apparently they have never read it or making comments about history when it is apparent that they haven't done the adequate research to, to make an informed comment. And but it that's one thing where you just have people on the internet saying stuff. But when you have people who are running for a political office who are going to assume the power that that allows them to write legislation that becomes law and then is enforced by slave catchers, I, I mean that's just unacceptable. You know, in today's uh information uh with today's information highway and I mean, not to change subjects, but, but it was kind of related. I was listening to some of the news reports about the, the new health care bill that the GOP is coming out with. And a number of these legislatures, uh, legislators in Congress were saying that they haven't even read what they was about to, to vote on in debate. So, you know, that is a huge problem. In the United States, the first problem I would would identify is purposeful miseducation of people. And then the other problem is people not educating themselves. And like Malcolm X said, relying on your enemy to teach your children. And I'm going to apply that to everybody. You know, that, that we are not researching enough. We are not reading enough. And one thing, though. I'm changing my language. I don't recall ever using the language when I talk about the Constitution and I talk about where it talks about people talk about guaranteed rights. I call them supposed rights. You're supposed to have this as a right. You're supposed to be protected 
from illegal searches and seizures. You're supposed to have due process in court. But as we have pointed out for five years now, the very people who have taken oaths of office, who have sworn to uphold this here constitution, uh, they pick and choose. And they often ignore and they violate it all the time. You know, we talked about the asset forfeiture seizure program that the federal government uh, was running well the Obama administration did some little small gestures they didn't end the program they just kind of tweaked it a little bit so it wouldn't affect so many people but they did nothing to end it now here comes uh, Jeff Sessions as the U.S. attorney and he's ramping it up now we're talking about people with supposed rights in the United States who are having uh, collectively billions of dollars in currency and property taken from them without ever being charged with a crime. So, uh, again, I must stress that when you read the Constitution, all of those things that say are are protections for the people, so-called civil liberties, uh, in practice, they are supposed rights. We're supposed to have these rights, but in practice, they're, they're often... Uh, violated in a systematic way and it seems to me the only thing that is being enforced and adhered to in the constitution is the 13th amendment which allows them to put people into slavery as so called punishment for crime. Max? Scotty I think you nailed it right there like that seems to be the only thing that is being enforced and that's the problem we are supposed to be a nation of laws. Those laws be in the United States Constitution. And if we can't uh, defend that Constitution within our own borders, then what are we doing? I mean, one of the, the, the biggest examples would be the Sixth Amendment. The Sixth Amendment guarantees that you have a right to a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers, right? But 94% of all states 97% of all federal cases, uh, felony cases, end up in a plea bargain. So just to round it out, if 95% of all cases are ending in a plea bargain, then where is the right? We've reported here on New Abolitionist Radio where federal judges have said that this is basically a myth. In reality, the right for people to have a fair and speedy trial by a jury of their peers no longer exists. There is no evidence to show that it exists because it's so small of a percentage of the population. Now, who's defending us against that? That day-to-day, 24-hour-a-day violation. Who is defending us against that? No one. It's supposed to be the federal government. It's supposed to be our U.S. soldiers, but nobody protecting us against this constant violation. The same thing with, as you mentioned, the Fourth Amendment and your right to illegal searches and seizures of property. Well, now it's become a little bit of business. The federal government searches seizures, and not only are they not stopping, but they're expanding. And as we mentioned last week, both Brazil, uh, Canada, and uh, the Virgin, was it the Virgin Bahamas? The Bahamas have all warned their citizens that the United States cops will rob you on the road. So those are just some examples of our guaranteed, constitutional, supposedly guaranteed constitutional rights that are being violated every single day 
without repercussion, and nobody's doing anything to defend we the people. Scotty? It feeds into the system of slavery. That is what all of this is for. They're not doing this just because, okay, they just doing it because they don't like certain people or they're just doing it because they ain't got anything better to do. There, There's an end game, and that end game is slavery. Uh, we do have a call. Looks like uh, Brother Davis would like to chime in uh, from Tando Radio Show. Uh, Brother Davis, thank you for joining us here on New Abolitionist Radio. Do you have a question or a comment for us, sir? Yes, brother, brother Scotty, I'll tell you. Max, you be safe out there, brother. I drive for a living. I know what it's like. But listen, my question is, do you guys have a newsletter, that, like a mailing list that you can send a newsletter out of what you're doing, your activities, and that sort of thing? Um, no, Brother Davis, we don't. Um, you know, Black Talk Media Project, is ri- we don't have a staff. I have a couple of volunteers that, that help out. And so I would say if if we have a newsletter, that would be our Facebook page, New Abolitionist Radio, or it would be our group on Facebook, Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery. And on BTR Community, we have a group called Abolitionists. So, but to answer your question directly, Brother Davis, no, we don't have a newsletter. The way the way that my workload is, I don't have time to put one together. And Max is constantly on the road attending these type of events, like he's on his way to now. So, to answer your question, sir, no, we don't. Okay, well, I'll tell you, man, that's not going to be something that's out of the realm of possibilities. When we cut back on our schedule, we'll be down in that area. So maybe we can get together and openly discuss that sort of thing. But listen, let me get back in the room, mute me out, and uh, I'll listen. All right, thank you. Uh, We do have another caller. Um, again, we appreciate people calling in. We want to get these field reports, and we want to hear what's on the listeners' minds. So our schedule, of, of pro, when we do a program and we mention these stories, except for our segments like 21st Century uh, Underground Railroad Writer or the Abolitionist in Profile or the History in Rebellion, those are in in stone. We got to get to those. But the other stories, if we don't get to get to them, we will share them on those uh, platforms that I just mentioned. But let's jump straight to the phones again. We got another caller, uh, area code 414. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question or comment. Greetings, Brother Scotty and Brother Max. This is Rob in Milwaukee. Hey, long time no hear, Brother Rob. Good to hear your voice. What's on your mind? Oh, man, uh, I just tuned in. I tuned in kind of late, but um, for the most part, I really just wanted to reach out and just speak. Um, I've been going through uh, quite the transition over the last few months. Um, ended a 10-year relationship. I'm back at my mom's house, um, and I am currently facing um, modern-day slavery, um, facing a misdemeanor charge that carries nine months, um, and I am currently working. I just started a job at the beginning of this month, and I'm uh, driving for a daycare, and uh, the owner of the daycare informed me that if I um, receive a probation, 
for the conviction that uh, that equals termination. Um, I talked with the attorney, and it doesn't seem like he has my best interest in mind. Um, he's not bringing solutions to the table that could uh, possibly, um, you know, not jail time or um, not probation. Like, he's not bringing anything like that. He's more so saying, like, well, will, you know, work release, can you still keep your job if you get work release? Instead of trying to um, brainstorm and see what are the other options on the table, um, I have uh, my schooling resuming in the fall, so I'll be working and going to school. And um, I just would hope that the slave catchers and this system um, don't stop this positive momentum uh, that I have going. And uh, I just wanted to reach out, uh, kind of let everybody know um, what I was going through. I'm still here. Um, I'm on the house phone right now, uh, and I just tried it because the other number, on the context of white supremacy, the house phone won't dial that number. So I just was like, well, let me try this uh, this line right here, and I was able to get through. So you're hearing my voice. And uh, that's all I had. Uh, thanks for taking my call. All right. Thanks uh, for giving us that report, Robin. Um, you know, I think me and Max had addressed this with you um, before, but for those listening, you know, again, I think I was just talking about Kamala Harris the other day. That's U.S. Senator K Kamala Harris, who visited a women's prison, the largest in the world, not just in the United States, but obviously the largest prisons in the world would be in the United States since they had the world's largest prison slave population. But she was at Chachilla State uh, Prison and she was talking about the optimism of the inmates who might get out and start a new life. And, you know, and just really... Um, <laughs> Man, I, I was like, I'm trying to keep it clean here, but she was just so full of you-know-what. Um, the system is designed to create slaves. It's designed to keep that revolving door uh, revolving. And so, you know, like, Rob, if I was you, I would try to talk to that owner of your employer and try to get them to understand from a human point of view of what you're going through and that give them reasons why they should not terminate you if you get probation. But like like Miss um, uh, Harris was trying to tell people, America is a country of second chances. We believe in second chances. And like I stated in my video, oh, no, they don't believe in second chances. And, and so, you know, Rob, his situation illustrates that. Here, here he is, gainfully employed. Uh, he's been going to school for a while now. Um, and, you know, here he has a misdemeanor. He didn't shoot nobody. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't rob a bank or, or anything of that sort. He's facing a misdemeanor that arose out of a family situation, a family situation, if I remember correctly. But, no, that, that, that employer doesn't care. That employer doesn't care that this young man is trying to keep his life on, you know, on a positive and whatnot. And so that's just the mindset of far too many employers in the United States. So, but that would be my best 
uh, advice to you if you can't afford to talk to uh, an attorney, of course, this attorney that's handling uh, your criminal case in the courts. Look, most time they trying to get you to take a plea bargain. You are right to assume this person doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's not trying to come up with a solution. In fact, me, and I'm not saying, I'm not making a sweeping indictment of all defense attorneys out there. But we have reported stories uh, far too often on this network, on this program, about how these uh, uh, so-called defense attorneys uh, try to coerce you along with the prosecutor into taking a plea deal or, or, you know, not going to, not taking it to court. Like Max was just talking about, where 98% plus cases don't even go to trial. And so, yeah, that, that, but I would try to talk to that employer if I was in your situation on a human level, let them know, make it personal to him and or her and let them know, you know, that, that you need this, this job, um, that you're on the path of positivity and you would appreciate that if they did give you uh, probation, if, if they would let you keep your job, because often that's a time, that's a condition of pro- probation, is that you be gainfully employed. So, you know, um, but uh, that's the best I can offer you in that situation. Max, Max we're trying to get to a, a hey, Scott, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Uh, yeah, I had to switch phones. I'll probably do that once or twice. We're still traveling through the mountains. We're about 30 minutes outside of Ohio now. Actually, uh, Yusef is a former attorney sitting there with us. We're trying to find a rest stop, and when we do, uh, he'll answer or offer some advice to Brother Rob uh, as to what he might be able to do, and he'll probably have some questions as well. Okay. All right, Max. So, do let's go ahead and jump on our first story. Hey, Scotty. Yes. Hey, bro, this is Ramon. Hey, Max, this is Ramon calling out of Colorado. You mind if I say... Hey, brother Rob, just um, what he just said made me go online and look at it. I just typed in kind of how I thought uh, that question should be asked, what he just... He said he's going through. There is a federal statute that has something imposing collateral consequences upon conviction. So what I'm getting, I just really, I ain't even had enough time, but what I'm getting out of it, the way I read it, I mean, the way I asked the question, he may have some type of ability to at least, if nothing else, you know, kind of throw some, throw it back at him, like, hey, man, you know, they do got a law for, you know, trying to fire me after I receive a conviction, after he's already been employed. That's what this is saying. Right. Right. See, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Um, um, ah, oh man, who who am I talking to? I'm sorry, I'm getting a brain fight. Uh, Ramon. This Ramon. This Ramon. Yeah, 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 Scott. This Ramon. See, brother Ramon, this is what I mean by we need to read and we need to research, and we need and oftentimes we can find solutions to these problems so i if i understand you correctly you're saying that there is a federal statute that would prohibit employers from imposing punishment 
to a employee because of something that was adjudicated through the court. So basically, in a nutshell, it would be illegal for that employer to fire Brother Rob as a result of him getting probation. Is am I hearing that exactly. correct? Exactly. Yes, sir. And that's it. Matter of fact, Scotty, I'm gonna post it. I'm gonna send it to you through the BTR community, but I'm gonna put it up on 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 the community uh, post there. But um, yeah, he should go look at this. This is a. Uh, it, it reads just like this, Scotty. It says uh, federal statutes imposing collateral consequences upon conviction. So it, it, even so, I put in. He said it's a misdemeanor. If I heard him correctly, yes. It, it it don't even really have anything for misdemeanors. It, it's just basically saying even if it's a felony, it's 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 he has you know he has some due process if somebody takes actually it's an act of retribution I guess is what like he said it would be somebody you know double punishing or double jeopardy for something he's already dealt with and plus he was already currently employed. This is not before you know so. For that too, man. Hey, guys, we appreciate uh, that. Yeah, Rob, did you want to add something else? Uh, no, I uh, I think uh, I was going to just kind of Google it myself. It's called uh, Collateral Consequences. Should I Google that? Can I hey, Rob, can you hear me? Are you on the... Yeah, Rob, you on the commute? It's um. Here's what I put in, man. Just, I'm, not, uh, I'm not on BTR. I haven't been able to join yet. Okay, there ain't no problem. I'm gonna tell you that. Here's what you should put in. Okay. Federal statutes. Okay. Imposing. Uh, collateral, collateral consequences. Okay. Upon upon conviction. Good, good, good. Thank you, man. And it's at it's at justice.gov. Justice.gov. Okay, because um, my employer are like um, extended friends of the family, and um, what they're saying is per Wisconsin laws, you know, like how the daycares operate in the state of Wisconsin. Like that's uh, like one of the laws or whatever. So. This information right here would be great for me to present to the employer, and then she could, because she already was gonna uh, write a letter or a recommendation for me for the courts anyway, and you know she's trying to work with me. Oh, um, so I understand. Okay, Rob, so that's great. So it's not that your employer is trying to punish you; they just are trying to stay in compliance with state law. But as we know, federal right. law trumps state law. Correct. Yep. So, uh, man, thanks. And, you know, like, I just want to add, like, man, this is the importance of the Black Talk Radio Network. Um, and I just shared uh, the network information with another brother that I work with. And, um, man, even though I'm starting back at ground zero, so to speak, I love where I am right now. And uh, the Black Talk Radio Network has been pivotal in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Rob. Uh, we do Word have. Appreciate well, you, Brother Ramon. That's why we do what we do. Yeah, we do have another caller on the board of uh, six one four. 
Uh, thank you for calling in the new abolitionist radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment for us. Hi, my name is Hannah Abdurrahim. I'm a lead organizer with the People's Justice Project. Hi, Max, how are you? Hey, what's up, man? Hannah, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, I'm here with Yusuf and Tribal Rain, and we're on our way to see you. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, thank you, and I'm glad you guys are coming here, and we're happy to host you. We can't make, we cannot wait to meet you. Indeed. Uh, why don't you and, tell the people what you're doing, as a matter of fact? Uh, that way they, they know. And you're in the Ohio area, and you're tuned in right now. This is where you're going to want to come down and be a part of this community building and events that will be going on. So, yes, feel free to tell us uh, what the organization that you're working with is and uh, what I, events are coming up. Okay. Um, I organize in Columbus, Ohio with the People's Justice Project and we organize around racial injustice, police brutality, and what we know as, uh, well, what they call mass incarceration. Um, excuse me. We currently work with the families of Tyree King and Henry Green, Jerron Thomas. Um, they're all killed by police in Columbus, Ohio, within the past year, and none of them have been indicted, well, they've indicted or convicted of their crimes. So on Saturday, Helen, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, you can hear me? Hello? Okay. I thought my phone disconnected. Okay. So on Saturday, Max, <laughs> we will be having an event, um, which is going to be leading, be leading up to the August 19th March. Um, and so we're going to be watching a screening of the 13th, and we're going to have a panelist and speaker session, including you um, and your wife, Tribal Rain, doing poetry. And then we also have and have partnered with Columbus Democratic Socialists of America and the International Socia Socialist Organization in Columbus. And so we're going to have Andrew Porter and Justice Harley speak from those organizations. And then Sean Stevenson who runs an organization in Ending Violence in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so the event is going to be this Saturday, July 29th, from 1.30 to 8 p.m. The doors open at 1.30, and so we will have free food, free child care, and free parking, and it's open to the public for all. Did you want to add anything else to it, Max? Uh, yes, absolutely. Like I said, if you're in the Ohio area, make sure you come out to this event. It's community building. As you said, it's free food, uh, free knowledge, and get to see a free film. And we're going to, you know, just talk about what we see there and try to shed some light on the seriousness of the issue and put our priorities in order, particularly in a place like Ohio, where in the state constitution you still have... Uh, an exception clause for slavery in the, very, in the state constitution to this day where it says unless uh, for uh, prisoners duly convicted. Just an example of some of the things that you're facing. And as you said, all the lives that have been lost there as of late due to uh, criminal violence from the police department. <clears throat> I was reading recently that just in Cleveland alone, 
All the killings by police in the past five years is all blacks, all every single one of them, 100%. And it shows you some of the hurdles that we're facing in this uh, state of Ohio. And, uh, you know, I've been doing some research, and we I put out recently the Ohio is Ferguson report that we did about a year ago. So some of the residents and, and organizers can take a look at it and add some of those figures and uh, problems to the agendas of issues that we'll be facing on a regular basis. And uh, mostly when I get there, I'm just looking forward to community building with you and with the families there and uh, the rallies that we'll be a part of and, and, and being able to bring some light to a dark subject. Yes, also, and we are very excited to have you here and we hope you have a good time, you and your wife. And also on Saturday, there will be a rally um, at OSU, Ohio State University Union, in support of Gaza. So that's going to be 12 to 2, and then after that will be the, um, well, during that time, because the doors open at 1.30, that will be when we start the 13th screening and panel. So everyone is welcome to come out, and you can like our page on Facebook, People's Justice Project, and on Twitter at OhioPJT. Awesome. And we'll be doing spoken word tomorrow night as well. Uh, do you yes, know? No. That, yes, I, that's I'm looking forward to too. You know, we're coming out and uh, we're going to share some of our poetry with the community as well, right along with other poets out there. We'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, so the poetry night is at 740 East Long Street, uh, which is currently called the, at the Lincoln Cafe. It's a black owned restaurant cafe, and we do poetry night. Well, the Nest Open Mic is not with TJP, but the Nest Open Mic does poetry every night on Thursday, and that's a show that I attend regularly. Did JG reach out to you, or were you able to call him? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to speak to him just okay. yet, yet. For the past couple of hours, we've been driving through mountains with bad reception. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say, but I, I'd hope to be able to get to him before the evening was out. Uh, I don't know if he wants okay. to meet up with me tonight or tomorrow, but uh, before the evening is out, I will be in contact with him. Okay, perfect. That's a perfect. And, um, yeah, all the events are open and free to the public, and we will also have more flyers at the event for upcoming events that everyone's open to in the public for the public. And we just got finished canvassing um, the Linden neighborhood and the West Side neighborhood. I was in the Linden neighborhood just canvassing, uh, the community talking about safety, what safety means to them, and how, how safe do they feel in their communities and with the constant police presence in these neighborhoods. And man, as I said, this just looks like it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. And uh, we're just about in the state of Ohio now. We just stopped here at a gas station right now, matter of fact. So uh, okay. we're about 10 minutes out. <laughs> so you said call you when we were close. I don't even have to call you. We're saying it on air right here. <laughs> right. <Scotty, did> <laughs> perfect. Perfect timing. Scotty Reed? Uh, what was that, Max? Did you have any questions for Sistana on X? Um, no, except that I feel the excitement, and it's good to hear about the work that you all are doing, and it just warms my heart to know that the abolitionist movement in the 21st century is is growing, and people are receptive to the message that slavery was never abolished. The 13th Amendment makes that plain and clear. 
And, you know, just like it took individuals and groups coming together to push for the abolishment of slavery pre-1865, it's going to take a similar effort uh, here in the 21st century. So I, I'm, I'm just excited for uh, everyone who, are, who is participating and will attend those events. So thank you for the work you're doing, sister. Indeed. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. And and I, thank you for having me today. And we just do this for our people because... Say it again? As you mentioned, this is the, the lead-up to the August 19th event in D.C. And for us, yes. it will be our last uh, travel uh, arrangement where we'll be going anywhere prior to D.C. After we leave from you guys, next stop is D.C. So we're getting our, our fire charged up right here in Ohio. Yes, it's, uh, practice makes perfect. And I also will be speaking at the August 19th March, so I will see you again in D.C. next. Indeed, word, word, no doubt. Well, thank you for sharing the information with us today. I'll see you, uh, if not this evening and tomorrow, and uh, we'll go from there. The adventure shall okay. begin. Okay, yes, I'm excited. I am really excited to have you. We cannot wait to meet you. And tell Tribal Rain and Eustace, I said hi, and safe travels. They just waved at you and said hi. Peace, my sister. Peace, Shirley. <laughs> Peace. Okay. Um, well, Scotty. Yeah, um, Max, we're right up against a, a break here in about seven minutes, but we do have another caller from longtime listener and Black Talk Radio Network supporter. We got Otis uh, joining us. Uh, Otis, what's going on from uh, the slave state of Virginia? Yeah, I, I, uh, before I get into all that, I want to keep, my, I'm getting old, so I want to keep on track. Rob called in. I was going to give him some uh, a few hints that I know. I put the link on Black Talk Radio, and what he's talking about is called Alternatives to Conviction. It's deferred adjudication. I ran into it back in the 70s when I was doing Big Brothers. But what I was going to say to him, since he said it was at his mom and he was calling on a landline, what he probably needs to do if he doesn't have access to a computer now, every public library, for the most part, you can go in and use computers for half hour, 45 minutes to an hour. So... He can probably stop at his closest uh, public library and go on to Black Talk Radio because I posted it on on your Facebook page, and he can see a direct link so he can read it for himself. And and it, what it is, if you get convicted of something, since he said he's already guilty, and they're trying to give him probation, he can actually get a deferred adjudication because that's what it's for a way of avoiding collateral collateral consequences. It's been a long-used process. I sent him something so he can get several links to it, and that's going to be his best way out. In other words, the employer can comply with law because the judge agrees not to put it on his record and probably will give him a nine-month to one-year period where he can't get in trouble. So that's the best way for him to go. Yeah, that's good to know because, it, it, you know, what I did not know before is that this was his employer is a friend of the family and that this employer was trying to help, you know, in terms of them writing a, a recommendation to the judge. So that's good information to know that puts his situation in a better light. 
Yeah, and the fact, like I said, like I said, the fact that he's already been found guilty, then they're trying to give him a probation. This fits the record perfectly. As a matter of fact, if he gives, if he goes in, like I said, to the public library and gets this and give it, give it to his employer in hard copy, he probably can send it to the court as you know, as a friend of the court, saying, "I'd like to keep this valuable employee. Can you do this?" That's the better way to work it. I agree. All right, I'm going to mute now. All right, thank you. Word, man. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that, Otis. And also from Brother Ramon out in Colorado who helped Rob out in uh, Milwaukee. I believe he's in Milwaukee. And last I heard, Milwaukee is a place where more than one out of two black men are expected to spend time in prison before they're 30 years old. And uh, it just drives home how serious these conditions are in different areas across the United States of America. Some places uh, you might have one in 86, and I think that is the standard for the uh, national standard for incarceration, one in 86 people are arrested. Don't quote me, but I think that's what it is. But in certain places, it's more than one in two. In certain communities, it's uh, much worse than it is with the fallacy of averages that we use. Yeah, and that's also the county of our favorite uh, slavery overseer. Um, you know who that is, right, Max? As a matter of fact, uh, Yusuf is here right now, and he had a couple questions. You said you had Yusuf? You, you well, I mean. Yeah, we got Rob everybody. back on the line. Yeah. So. Hey, peace, everybody. Peace, Yusuf. Can, can you hear me, can, Yes. Can you hear me, uh, John? Oh, this is Scotty. Okay. Sorry about that. You can hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Yusuf, and we do have Rob. Yeah. His mic is open if you have some questions for him. I mean, what I was going to do, you know, because, you know, I'm no longer licensed to practice and, you know, I don't want it to seem as though I'm giving someone legal advice. What I'll do is just make general statements of information that could be helpful to anyone that would need it. Uh, one, of the, one of the first things to look at, you know, I, I, was, I was listening when he was talking about the collateral consequences. Uh, the other thing, you know, what matters is if a person is an at-will employee or a contracted employee. At-will, you know, as most states carries, you know, they can fire you with or without cause at any time. So that automatically covers them there. You know, contracted, then he, it has to be something within the contract. He has to be violating some portion of the contract in order to be fired. So it would have to physically state within the contract if something happened and this per that that warrants termination. Now, as you know, other general statements, a lot of times, you know, as I explain to people, if you have a public defender, you know, they're burnt out. Many of them their hands are tied. They don't have the, the time and the resources to do research on cases. Their job is to get rid of the case. And the easiest way to get rid of the case is to, you know, to elicit the the uh, plea bargain. And so that's why many do that, you know. And when you start getting 95 and 98 percent of the people, you know, taking plea bargains, then that's almost like the expected outcome every time someone comes in the courtroom. And what starts happening is these 
public defenders, and we have a lot of private attorneys that are doing it as well. They don't even put up a fight. So what used to be plea negotiations, you know, when there's a negotiation, one side makes an offer and the other side does a counteroffer. That's no longer happening. What's happening now is the, these uh, prosecutors and district attorneys are just making demand. You know, this is it. This is what this is what the state's offer is. And then the attorney goes and tries to convince the person that this is the best deal he's going to get. You know, and a lot of times people don't do their own research. I mean, nothing within law, or I should say very few things within law are actually written in stone. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way out of every situation. You know, many, many times, you know, many cases, you know, that I've worked on or other colleagues have worked on, you know, we've had people with some very strong cases that walk out with, you know, disorderly persons, you know, very minimal charges. Because if you put in the fight, it's sort of like you're doing a chess match. Because neither side really wants to do any work. Prosecutors don't want to do any work, but they walk into the courtroom with the upper hand. So, commercial break? Okay. Yes, yeah, Scotty, we're going to take that break, right? And when we come back, we'll finish with the comments from Yusuf Hassan. And uh, we'll go on with the rest of the program. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Dot com, and we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking and what we can do to help make changes in our community. We'll be right back. Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. All right, we're back to New Abolitionist Radio here on blacktalkradionetwork.com, and we'll continue with the comments from Yusuf Son. Thank you, Max and Scotty. Uh, so, as I was saying, you know, a lot of times if the person does their own research and they come in and, you know, I also notice that people are a lot of times afraid to speak in the courtroom. A lot of times their attorney will try to shush them. You know, don't allow that to happen. Don't allow yourself to be shushed because it's your case. You're the one that suffers the consequences of the case. You know, know what not to say. Obviously, you're not going to say, I did this or I did that. You're going to have no admissions of guilt or anything of that nature. But what you want to do is challenge the legality of what you're being charged with to show whether or not it holds muster, whether or not it could stand up in front of a jury. And, you know, when you, when you start doing things of that nature, that's when a lot of times attorneys start doing their job. So these are things that take into consideration for those that have, you know, legal issues, you know, because 
you know, many of, as, as was explained earlier, many of the constitutional rights are being violated. And what people are doing are voluntarily giving up their rights. Because as the saying goes, the right is only a right if you claim it. So if you don't claim your right, then you have no right to the right. So that's something to always keep in mind. You know, I hope that the information I've given is beneficial to someone. Anything, you know, I'm human, so I may have misspoke on some things because I've been out of the game for a minute. But uh, this is something that we can continue to talk about in the future as well. Thanks. Peace. Thank, Thank you. you Appreciate you, brother. Word. Well, there you have it. Uh, some advice. From our brother Yusuf Asad. So, Rob, um, did you have any additional questions or comments for us? Uh, <clears throat> very powerful. <laughs> That's all I got. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So, like what uh, Yusuf was saying, and the information that Ramon shared on the collateral consequences in the federal law. And what Otis shared about going to the library and pulling up this research, printing it out, and and giving it to the employer who wants who wants to help Rob, but also present give that research and those laws to the attorney that doesn't want to do do his his job in defending you to the best of his ability. So I agree with you, Seth. We got to be our own defenders, and these we the ones got to suffer the consequences. So I would print out that information and lay it on that attorney as well. Okay, Max, did you have any? Uh, what do you want to do now? Uh, I think we should go on to our next story, whichever one you want to provide for us today. Okay, on our reporting about the events of the last week or so. Yes, um, I want to share an article that I published uh, about hours before we came on air. It's a story that uh, I had shared in a planning group about inmates without air conditioning in St. Louis were filmed yelling for for help from inside the jail. So um, let me just pull up that audio and I'm pulling up the article. Well, I already had an article up. Let me see if I can get this audio to play because people need to hear this. If you have not heard this already, uh, it was published in, in on the Fox 2 um, news affiliate out of St. Louis. And just listening to it is it, pretty powerful uh, to me. So let me just set this up as I let this website do its thing so I can get to the video. But it says, as temperatures in St. Louis soar, towards triple digits people working and playing across the metro area must find ways to cope with the blistering heat um but the inmates at the medium security institution are at the mercy of mother nature so here's the audio if i can get you here here we go Let me start it. Start it from the beginning. This website's kind of messed up. Hold on. Hold on. Stay right there.
Okay, so that was literally modern-day victims of slavery in human trafficking asking for help, begging for help. Uh, the facility, the Medium Security Institution, again, this is in St. Louis, the city of St. Louis, was built in 1966. It can house over 1,100 inmates. And only a few sections of the institution are air conditioned, meaning the staffers routinely work in hot spaces. The inmates must rely on vented windows for air circulation. So um, I wrote about this uh, today because I do have an update. This story came out last week and I want to share um, the article with you now. Um, I, I start off by writing last week victims of modern day slavery and human trafficking in St. Louis were filmed by a local Fox 2 now reporter Elliot Davis begging and screaming for help in a facility that has held as many as 750 people plus staff. The detainees were screaming for help as they were slowly baking without air conditioning during days when temperatures reached as high as 107 degrees with lows of only 89 degrees. Mr. Davis, who should win a Pulitzer for excellence in journalism, stood outside the facility last week and recorded inmates saying, please help me. Please help us. We ain't got no AC at the medium security jail nickname, the workhouse. That's the nickname of this, this jail, the workhouse. Local St. Louis Public Radio reported that it's at least 10 degrees higher inside the workhouse than what the temperature is outside. St. Louis has a history of slavery, and some would say it was founded on slavery. The St. Louis Dispatch reported in 2014 that slavery was a fact of life in St. Louis from the beginning. Writer Tip O'Neill wrote that it was more than likely victims of slavery who cleared the land to start the town in 1764. Later, in 1804, U.S. Army Captain Amos Stoddard wrote... They are habitually cruel to their slaves regarding the local citizens. A New Englander, a New Englander, Stoddard was the United States' first representative there after the Louisiana Purchase from France, which shares a similar history of slavery and human trafficking. Stoddard said he found slavery distasteful, but he bowed anyway to the wishes of St. Louis, uh, St. Louis's perverse families who peddled in captive flesh and cheap labor. Stoddard claimed that the wealthy slavers fretted their victims might get ideals of freedom under the new management of the United States, so he agreed to enforce a slave code of restrictions. That would have been the most likely outcome anyway, considering the person giving credit for the United States acquiring almost 1 million square miles of land was President Thomas Jefferson, who in addition to being a rapist of his victims of slavery, once bragged in a letter about how his wealth increased with the birth of each new victim of slavery. Jefferson would get along well with the slavers of St. Louis. The city, of course, is located in the infamous St. Louis County, Missouri, whose combined modern slave patrol forces 
put down a modern rebellion against slave codes that were in effect in the town of Ferguson, just miles from the city. The rebellion against the slave codes that an FBI report said violated U.S. federal law was sparked by the killing of Mike Brown in Ferguson by former slave catcher and suspected murderer Darren Wilson. Ferguson will go down in the history of rebellions against modern slavery and human trafficking in the United States, and it inspired the award-winning radio podcast, New Abolitionist Radio's America is Ferguson, weekly series on slave code conditions all across the United States. Because people took action, we can report that action on behalf of the prisoners caused the authorities in St. Louis to resolve the air conditioning problem at the jail. Um, Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed says St. Louis will spend $40,000 to provide AC to inmates at the workhouse jail. St. Louis City has a one-month deal with temporary air. In three weeks, people from all over the world will have a chance to take action and perhaps make history by attending the first public slavery abolitionist convention since the passage of the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The 13th did not abolish slavery but reserved it as punishment for crimes. When one group controls the legislative houses, they pass laws that outlaw nonviolent behavior that people engage in. A, is a display of abuse of power and uses that power to target and oppress certain groups and or classes of people. A grave injustice is committed against humanity. So you find out more information about how to join the new abolitionist movement and come out to the abolitionist rally taking place in the park in front of the White House that Victims of Slavery built in Washington, D.C. on August 19th. So, um, again, these things do not get resolved without the actions of abolitionists. It, it, I think I can't remember who came up with the quote. I know Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it, uh, but I think it's attributed to Edmund Burke, who said that that uh, the only way and I'm paraphrasing the only way for evil to persist is for so-called good people to do nothing. So if we just we we see these things and we do nothing about them, well, those things are not going to end themselves and there's not going to be another person to come along and take the action that you should take. So if not you, then who? Max. Um, Scotty, that was an excellent article. Uh, very informative indeed. You know, I could easily go on a rant about this. As you know, I was the keynote speaker for the Missouri Cure Human Rights Conference in 2016. And while I was out there, I got to see various communities throughout Missouri and talk to the people there uh, in Ferguson and in St. Louis and in Kansas uh, as well. And we're talking about a state that just recently passed laws that would criminalize kindergarten, kindergarten children by having schoolyard fights and charge them with a felony. We're talking about the same state that brought out the National Guard holding automatic weapons on innocent men, women, and children is, as well as tossing tear gas and everything that you saw that went down within uh, 
Ferguson, Missouri. We're also talking about the same counties that was exposed for using fines and fees through traffic ticketing in five different areas near the airport where they were profiling black and brown people and arresting them and using this as a way to uh, fund their efforts within their police communities and in their counties. The same thing applied in cities like Country Club, where they had 33,000 warrants in a place that only had 10,000 citizens. So they had triple the number of warrants on people as they did people living within this system. And here we have this reporter who happens to be coming past the prison hearing in St. Louis, these prisoners, these incarcerated individuals, screaming and pleading for help. And it makes one wonder, first of all, how long have they been screaming and pleading for help? And why aren't the people inside the prison whose duty it is to make sure that the health and safety and welfare of those individuals are taken care of did not respond to that until it became a public, publicly known problem? Would they have simply let those men possibly bake to death, as uh, was the case in other prisons that we're aware of? Right, man. Just makes you wonder, Scotty. No, and and I didn't include it in the article because I couldn't remember the man's name. But you know, I I just um just wrote what I wrote. But I did have in my mind. I think that was in New York. Might have been in Rikers Island, where they baked that man. Was. They literally baked that man to death. Yep, in a hundred and seven degree temperature. If I remember correctly, it was the same amount of uh, the same temperature in Rikers Island where the man was baked to death. It was the homeless man, Myrtle, I believe his name was. He was a former vet, uh, and he was in the middle of the winter, had went into a hallway because of the cold to get warm. And the police arrested him in the hallway for, tra- for you know, uh, trespassing, took him into jail, put him into this prison cell that was at 107 degrees temperature and baked the man to death. Robert Myrtle. Disgusting, man. It's just disgusting. And these are not isolated incidents. And like I mentioned in the article, you know, these slave code conditions is what gave birth to the America is Ferguson series here on New Abolitionist Radio. And shout out to Missouri uh, Cure, you know, who, who recognized us for our efforts through New Abolitionist Radio. So when I say award winning Podcast. I'm talking about the award we received from the Missouri Cure. Indeed. Shout out to uh, our family, Keith L., and everybody out in Missouri that uh, did give us that award. Thank you so much. Indeed. So, yeah, man, Missouri is a place where uh, the tragedies never seem to end. And they're not limited to anybody uh, from men, women, and children all get hit the same way. Children charged with felonies and juveniles being uh, incarcerated for exorbitant fees. And here we have uh, jail in St. Louis where you can hear the prisoners screaming and pleading for their lives. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I can't take that type of heat. If it were me in 107 degree weather, I wouldn't survive it, period. 
Yeah, it's just terrible. And, you know, the person who posted the update to Facebook that the situation had been uh, resolved with the city providing that temporary air, again, like Max said, why did it take a reporter passing by to record this, put it in out on, on a news story before they acted? Okay, that's just crazy, man. And then also, you know, we have heard people say on this program, and it's not, I'm not disagreeing with them, but I don't view them the same as the victims of slavery that they're quote unquote guarding. But I've heard people say, you know, the guards are in prison with the, with the victims. And I'm like, why wouldn't these guards even say something? about this you mean the prison union guard i mean the prison guard union doesn't care about the conditions you work in you know come on so i'm saying man this is just messed up on on so many levels but our next story max is kind of related to what rob brought up with his situation so we got uh this story and i couldn't pull it up on the Washington Post, which I, I'm supposed to be boycotting Washington Post anyway. <laughs> but uh, the Cowboys, there was a Cowboy. Y'all know the NFL is uh, in its preseason mode right now. And I agree with the people that say let's boycott the NFL for what they are doing to Colin Kaepernick, who has uh, voiced uh, his, uh, I'm not even going to say opinions, but voice facts on elements of system of the system of slavery and that slave catches gunning down people in the streets. But this is a NFL related story. So the NFL's players union is gathering information on the truly bizarre lucky whitehead situation with the eye on a potential grievance against the Cowboys for cutting the wide receiver following a shoplifting arrest and failure to appear in court, both of which it quickly turned out were not true. Now, they used another word, but I'm not going to use that word on air. So here is is a person who was punished by his employer, the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones is the owner, who put him out of work simply for getting arrested not convicted not sentenced to anything he is again supposed I'm not going to say we are uh, guaranteed certain things but he supposedly was innocent until proven guilty but that didn't matter to the the Dallas Cowboys okay Uh, you got arrested you didn't show up to court we're firing you as it turns out, Whitehead wasn't even there. Whoever the cops arrested gave them Whitehead's identifying information. But Whitehead still cut. It is a truly weird situation all around. After the erroneous news of the warrant out on Whitehead broke, but before he was officially waived, head coach Jason Garrett had sure made it sound like this was it for Whitehead, saying that depending on what the situation is, we're going to respond accordingly and do what's in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Garrett sure is hung up on the best interest of the Cowboys. Here he is at Tuesday's press conference, and this is some remarkable uh, video. So let's go ahead and run this video. Okay, we will run the video in three, 
two, one. Here we go. How we doing, guys? regret how you handled Lucky Whitehead's situation given that the police came out today and said he wasn't involved and do you feel the need to address the team over this issue? Uh, yesterday we made a decision that we deemed to be in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we're standing by that decision we're going to move on. But that decision was based on the idea that he'd been arrested last week, correct? Uh, yesterday we made a decision that we thought was in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys and we're going to stand by that decision we're going to move on. It's the truth. We made a decision that we thought was in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not asking about any individual investigator or any particular incident. Do you have some people working for the Dallas Cowboys that are just too stupid to work for this team? I'll stand by the statement that I made. We made a decision yesterday. Uh, that we thought was in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys, and we're going to stand by that decision. We're going to move forward. Veterans saw it as an opportunity to send a message to the team, and they said the message was received. Are you concerned that it sends the wrong message, given he was vindicated of said crime? Yesterday we made a decision that we thought was in the best interest of the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, I'm not going to uh, play the other two minutes and 35 seconds of that video of head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett, simply parroting the same line over and over and over to the same question. So he said that even in light, even in light, that Lucky Whitehead had not been arrested had not done what was alleged to have been done, um, we're going to stand by the decision that we made. But one key thing was stated there. I don't know if y'all could hear it clearly, but the reporter said your was your decision based on his arrest. And he acknowledged that it was based on what turned out to be erroneous information about um, Mr. Whitehead being arrested for shoplifting and then failing to appear in court. So, add this to a list of grievances against the NFL, another reason to boycott the NFL, and I forgot to mention when I was talking about Child Chilla's uh, state uh, prison uh, and Kamala Harris, U.S. Senator Kamala Harris uh, comments uh, she were talking to. She was talking to prisoners who manufacture the U.S. flag. So that flag that you might be saluting and standing up for at these nationalistic, uh, religious type ceremonies before NFL games were more than likely made by a victim of modern day slavery and human trafficking. And of course, as Colin Kaepernick pointed out the national anthem was written by a vicious white supremacist who enslaved human beings. Max. Wow. Uh, I wasn't even aware that the prisoners were making the U.S. flags. That is a pretty profound observation. Whenever you're at one of these events, like these football games where they're expected to, uh, you know, bow to this national anthem and the flag flying overhead is made by prisoners. It's terrible. As far as him being terminated over this situation, 
I'm not quite sure of the relationship between modern day slavery and human trafficking, what they're going through. But I do know this, that they don't give a damn about your life. They will arrest you and destroy your life immediately without any concern at all. It doesn't matter if you're a football player or working at McDonald's or, or if you're Brother Rob dealing with his case over there. Uh, your livelihoods and your future and your job is not a priority in the eyes of the Justice Department. The only thing they're concerned with is putting your ass behind bars. And if they can't put you behind bars, they'll ruin your life just so you'll remember the day. Yeah, but that that's pretty disgusting commentary coming from the Dallas Cowboys, quote unquote, America's team. And so, I, yeah, they're America's team, all right. The America that still practices slavery and human trafficking. We had a conversation today, as a matter of fact, Scotty, about these, about building an industry within our community in the five-state solution. And some of the ideas that came up was like what Ice-T is doing right now with the NBA with these three-on-three teams. So Ice-Q, rather, is doing right now. So he's the owner of this new uh, league that's coming out, three-on-three leagues, which is going to generate uh, huge amounts of money and open up opportunities and doors for minority-owned uh, leagues to suddenly start appearing. The same thing can be done with the NFL. I mean, if all you guys in the NFL who are consciously aware got together and decided to start your own league, you could immediately become a huge competitor to these rich billionaires, who own you like you're some racehorse. Yeah, put money together and take over the Arena Football League or start something similar to the Arena Football League. So, But I do want to make clear, unlike some people in our community, I do not view professional athletes as victims of slavery because they volunteer to do this stuff. Ain't no slave volunteer to be no slave. And ain't no slave getting paid millions of dollars to play no game. I know people like to deal with the imagery of NFL players, you know, standing there and being prided by doctors, but I went through the same thing to go in the military. And if you're going to invest millions of dollars like Uncle Sam invests in soldiers, then you want to make sure that you're not, you know, defective or something. I do not, I do not equate that with slavery. I, I do not understand the symbology of it, but I want to make clear that I was never a slave. These athletes aren't slaves because it's voluntary. Our, our, the people that you heard screaming and, and begging for help because they were being baked to death in that St. Louis jail, those are victims of slavery. Um, Otis, we got Otis back on the line. Otis, did you want to share something, sir? Otis, 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 I'm sorry, Otis, I'm sorry to mute you, but we're right up against our, where we're actually overdue for our break, so if you could, I don't want to, you know, lose your comment, so if you could just hold on, soon as we come back from the break, uh, we'll get your comments, hold on, bro, all right, Uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We broadcast every Thursday, um, excuse me, every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Remember, you can meet with myself and Max on August the 19th in Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C., which is a park right across the street from the White House that victims of slavery built. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. All right, we're back. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm in the studio. We got Max on the line who is in transit right now, just uh, uh, entering into Ohio as he goes to an abolitionist We're event. We're in Ohio now. Yep. And right before we went to the break, uh, Otis wanted to share something with us. Sorry for uh, muting you like that, Otis, but go ahead and, and share with us, sir. Oh, no. I, at first, I thought maybe my mic had messed up. What I was going to try to do, and I'll just try to go straight through it and see if it makes sense to y'all. The more I've listened to you, and I, you know, you get a lot of figures. And you listen to so many different sources, and I hear Max, and he's got his stuff down so good. I started looking deeper into this thing. There's over, what, 2.3 to 2.5 million people locked up in just the federal system. But then I read articles, collateral articles, and find out 1 million of them are employed doing some kind of labor for over 1,000 U.S. corporations. So I just try to run it through a little matrix that I saw from uh, usgov.org and, and Demos. Nobody's ever figured out how much taxpayer money is being diverted from localities everywhere because they don't pay any kind of employee taxes or anything on this. So you got a million people that you lock up for punishment but then get jobs for over a thousand U.S. corporations. That's a heck of they're getting paid twice. There's no employee tax, no Social Security, no benefits, or nothing. But you're getting the labor of a million people for free, and that's just the federal government. So I, I, I sent out some messages to a few people I talked to on Twitter because I see that as statisticians, and I'm saying, how come nobody from all of these universities and think tanks? has never said anything about what's wrong with doing that. I can see why corporations can afford to give politicians 300 or 400 million dollars a year. The last election, the electoral, electoral, uh, presidential election alone cost almost a billion dollars. So you, you, in other words, you, you're taking not only just quote a, a person, that means it's over a million households being deprived of an income and a future. It didn't take a million people to build the damn pyramids. Exactly. I put that out there saying these this we're all being snowballed when you stop and think about it. Yeah, and it affects everybody. It, it affects what? if it affects everybody, even the people they think it that think it doesn't affect them. Who don't That's what I'm, touch, yeah. I'm touching on because I heard an economist say, let's not talk about them. And I'm saying, hold on. Nobody wants to talk about them because that's the real scam. You don't want to give unemployment. You don't want basic income. You don't want health care. But you have a million people you incarcerate. And the only person, only people benefiting from it is the corporations. But here's the kicker, Max. But Max really got me with it. How come there's a disparity of anywhere from thirty to seventy thousand dollars a year to incarcerate them? So you're triple dipping. Yeah, we're pay, you're paying taxpayers money to maintain them, 
at inflated rates. The only thing in this country that comes even close to that is the military running the military machine. Yeah. You asked the question, Otis, about why they don't talk about that aspect. Well, I would also ask, well, why don't they talk about slavery? Okay? They they talk around it. They talk about symptoms. They you know they don't talk about slavery. They don't talk about the thirteenth amendment. And they're out here pushing books based on slavery pre eighteen sixty five and how much the slaves were worth, you know, with this professor coming out with this book about a, a pound of flesh or whatever the name of that book. But hey, what about how much these bodies in print modern slavery today are worth to these corporations? So that's what I say, oldest. They ain't talking about it in that context because they ain't even acknowledging that slavery was never abolished. Well, I'm telling you that actually that's like that's big prong of slavery is like a spike. But I understand now why they won't talk about it. They're making triple money. There's three streams of money from that one body locked up. No, no, yep. you're not. That one person that you're locking up slate under the 13th is giving to you triple. You don't pay out any local taxes. Then you don't pay them any money. Then on top of that, you put them to work for corporations so there ain't no such thing as no pension for them, no, no uh, workman's comp, no nothing. Then you got the taxpayer paying thirty to $70,000 a year, depending on what state they're in, to pay to lock them up. That's why GEO and so, CoreCivic is such a large corporation. I'm, matter of fact, I'm, I'm willing to bet more profit is made by investors off of prison than it is on the stock market. You know, are we getting pulled over? No. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were getting pulled over for a minute there. You know, Unicor, for instance, in 2012, was valued at having a billion dollars in revenue. Unicor, in their contract with the government, states that they expect that 100% of the personnel in their prisons are going to be employed. As we speak, they have 109 factories built into the U.S. prisons that provide 175 different products. If that isn't slavery, then what is? Well, I mean, you're talking about a company that has put into writing that the minimum wage is to be paid to these people who have no rights, no protection, no days off, no nothing, is 23 cents an hour. 23 cents an hour. And then you take it even further and say, 50% of their income is to be taken away to cover fines and fees and expenses. And we know that in many of these cases, those expenses mean that you're actually paying to be in jail, paying to be in prison out of the 23 cents an hour you make. There was a statement that was made that said that the people who work at McDonald's make 32 times more than the people who sold the McDonald's uniforms in prison. Think about that. The fast food restaurant employees are making 32 times more than the people who make the clothing they wear on behalf of this private corporation. 
Max, I still do not know when you mention Unicor, you say this private corporation, but who owns that corporation? Who owns Unicor? U.S. government. The U.S. government, USA Inc. Now, they made a bill. Where are those profits going to? That's what I'm trying to figure out. How does the United States federal government own a private corporation that is a prison slavery corporation providing goods and services? Where is that money going to? I still ain't figured that out. But we we do want to move on before we run out of time. Uh, we need to get to our regular segments um, um, because we do have Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio coming on at the top of the hour at 10 o'clock. So I know, Max, you okay. don't have access, so I'll just go through those, and then I'll get your commentary. Uh, yes, sir. And let me just give you a, a quick heads up. The uh, rebellion that we'll be remembering, the uprisings that happened in New York, the New York uh, uh, riots, those are white people rising up. But I thought it would be important to hear what they did to the black people of New York City in the New York riots during this uprising, the draft riots. And it's kind of a lengthy story, Scotty, so you may want to condense it as much as possible. Yeah, I'll just read what you wrote there, but I do have one question, though, Max. Um, yeah. It was... In the his, are we doing histories of of slave rebellions and in, in, victims of slave rebellions? Because these assholes didn't want to be drafted to fight in the Civil War, and they blame black people, um, you know, for the reason that they were being drafted. Yes, that's some of the things that uh, should be unveiled in the reading of this okay. uh, event that occurred in New York City during the draft riots. And remember, this was around the Civil War era. So, you know, they were, they were in some cases, there were people talking about how they refused to do it simply because it was blacks in the military or because they were fighting on behalf of blacks. So it kind of shows you the mindset of what happens when whites rebel and when they uprise and what they do to us. Understood. So uh, I'm not trying to document history of all rebellions, but considering the circumstances of the day, I thought it would be important to people to know what happened in New York City okay. in the 1800s during the New York City draft riots. Okay, so let me just uh, share this excerpt. Um, you can find this on history.com, the most violent insurrection in American history. Uh, July 13th, 1863, um, as the second day of a new military draft lottery in New York City got underway, demonstrations broke out across the country and what began as an organized opposition to the first federally mandated conscription laws in the nation's history, but soon morphed into a violent uprising against the city's wealthy elite, its African-American residents, and the very ideal of the Civil War itself. The most violent of troubles, the New York City draft riots, when white workers, mainly Irish-born, embarked on a three-day rampage. Federal troops restored order, but 34 Africans were murdered, shot, stoned, hanged from lampposts, homes burned, etc. Four whites were reported dead and over 200 people injured. General Sheridan later said at least nine-tenths of the casualties were perpetrated 
by the police and citizens by stabbing and smashing in the heads of many who had already been wounded or killed by police. It was not just a riot, but an absolute massacre by the police, a murder which the mayor and police perpetrated without the shadow of necessity. So, uh, and that's coming from a U.S. Army General Sheridan. Max. They said at one point, Scotty Reed, that the women, the Irish women, would go to the black bodies and snip off the fingers and toes to keep them as mementos. Disgusting, man. Well, that that's the same thing that they would do later um, when they would lynch people through the South and take their little souvenirs and very, very barbaric. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's move on. Uh, it's like uh, we got uh, about 10 minutes left, so I want to go yep. to our abolitionist and profile, and then we'll round it out with the writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. But our abolitionist and profile tonight, um, again, Max is in Ohio, so this is a kind of specific to Ohio or has some Ohio connections, but uh, this is published on ohiohistorycentral.org. Uh, Levi Colvin, who is our abolitionist in profile. Levi Colvin was an important figure in the Underground Railroad Network that helped thousands of fugitive slaves escape the freedom in the years before the American Civil War. Colvin was born on October the 28th, 1798 in North Carolina. He was a member of the Society of Friends. Due to his religious beliefs, he became a strong opponent of African-American slavery. By the time he turned 15, Colfin already had begun to assist fugitive slaves. In 1826, he moved to Indiana and established a pork processing business. In 1847, Colvin moved to Cincinnati with the aid of abolitionists in Indiana. He opened a business that sold only goods produced by free laborers. He also became an active participant in the Underground Railroad. He purportedly helped more than 3,000 slaves escape from their masters and gain their freedom in Canada. Most northern states had either outlawed slavery or implemented laws to gradually end the institution. However, the United States Constitution and the Fugitive Slave Law 1850 permitted southern slave owners to go to free states like Ohio and reclaim fugitive slaves. For this reason, the sponsors of the Underground Railroad maintain safe houses in free states as well as slave states to protect African Americans. Many former slaves went to Canada, where Southern slave owners did not have the right, had the legal right to retrieve them. Colvin's active participation in the Underground Railroad caused his fellow abolitionists to nickname him the president of the Underground Railroad. Levi Colvin helped African Americans in other ways as well. In 1854, he helped found an African-American orphanage in Cincinnati. He also pressured the federal government during the Civil War to establish the Freedmen's Bureau. In addition, Colvin helped African-Americans establish their own businesses and obtain educational opportunities. He died on September the 16, 1877 in Cincinnati. Several years after his death, African Americans in Cincinnati erected a monument over Colfin's grave to honor his contributions. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes 
Levi Colvin. Salute. And that's the first time we've aired his story here on New Abolitionist Radio. And hopefully I'll be able to visit his grave while I'm here in town. Max, I just have one comment on that. You know, uh, people yes. are, and don't people, if this is how you think, this is not an attack on the way that you think, but it is me asking you to consider the fact that you may be wrong when you say, when you take shots at Christians and you pick at African Americans who who practice Christianity and saying that that was the slave master's religion and he forced this religion upon you and you today have a slave mentality simply because you're a Christian. So, again, this person got involved in the abolitionist movement because his religious belief, his Christian beliefs made him come to the conclusion that the institution of slavery was evil and it was against what he believed in and he made great contributions to bring the institution to an end and I would add that the job has not been finished so meet us in Washington D.C. on August the 19th in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House that victims of slavery built. Thank you. Yes indeed, Scotty. And uh, as a son of light myself who believes in Jesus as a savior, I would never say that about the Christian community. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that ascribe to the ideology that uh, Christianity helped to create slavery because Jesus lived long before America was ever founded. Right, right. And, uh, Max, I'm trying to find, bear with me if you could... uh... it may not show up on the website. It's just a link, and above it it says Rider. Sometimes certain links won't show up uh, visually. So look for the one that's missing, and it just says Rider, and it has the link there. Yes, that I, I, I saw it earlier. I'm looking for it now, so if you can uh, can talk so we don't have this. I found it. Okay, I found it. I found it, Max. <laughs> All right, this story comes to you from the innocenceproject.org. Shout out to the Innocence Project for the great work that they have been doing for years in in helping victims of modern-day slavery and human trafficking obtain uh, their release. So this um, story uh, focuses on uh, the title is Florida Man Exonerated a Murder and released from death row. It was published on July the 20th this year, just six days ago. Ralph Wright Jr. was exonerated and released from Florida's death row on Tuesday after a circuit court acquitted him of a 2007 double murder. In May, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that there was not enough evidence to prove Wright was guilty of the murders and remanded the case back to the Pinellas Pasco Circuit Court with instructions that Wright be acquitted. Wright was convicted in 2014 of the murder of his ex-girlfriend and a 15-month-old son. No physical evidence linked Wright to the crime, and there was no indication he was in the area at the time. Prosecutors said a single glove left at the scene belonged to Wright, but no DNA evidence linked the glove to him. Man, and OJ just got out of jail. Uh, Wright was found guilty, nonetheless, with the jury voting 7-5 to to recommend the death penalty. Governor Rick Scott has since signed into law a bill requiring that a jury vote be unanimous in order to recommend the death penalty. 
Um, there is no fingerprint, footprint, blood, fiber, pattern, impression, or other physical evidence tying right to the crime scene, the Florida Supreme Court wrote. There is no cell tower evidence placing him in the vicinity of the crime. There is no murder weapon. The only evidence presented by the state to prove that right was the murderer is the fact that he had motive and opportunity. But while motive and opportunity might create a suspicion that right committed the murders, even deep suspicions are not sufficient to sustain the convictions. Wright is the 27th person to be exonerated from Florida's death row and the 159th person in the nation to be exonerated from the de from death row since 1973. Wright's exoneration is the most recent reminder that Florida's death penalty system not only devalues life, but also imperils innocent lives too. Brian Imprick with Florida conservatives concerned about the death penalty said, according to Florida politics. So, uh, New Abolitionist Radio welcomes Ralph Wright Jr. to freedom. Salute, brother. Welcome to freedom, brother. Man, 10 years on death row, and the only thing holding you there was a glove that you had never seen in your life. Wow. Bet you they had an all-white jury, too, or near all-white. Right. Right, so Max... Well, we're coming to the closing uh, part of our program. we got to get off air for the next uh, show to come on. And uh, I guess it's time for our final uh, statements for the evening. Yes, I will go first, and then you can close us out, Max. Um, my, final, right. my final statement will be, as the title suggests, that we are 30 days, less than 30 days away from the historic abolitionist rally march and convention in Washington, D.C. On August the 19th, the activities will start at around noon that afternoon, and we hope that all of those who hear the sound of our voices can join us. If not, please look into joining a satellite event in solidarity with the marching and rally in D.C. If there is none, reach out to uh, Sister Crystal Brown and find out what the protocols are for you to establish your own event in solidarity with the abolitionist event in Washington, D.C. on August the 19th. I will say this. This is the last time I'm going to say this and put out there publicly. If you live in South Carolina or if you live in North Carolina and you would like to join myself, Max, Greg, and Tribal on our trip to this historic abolitionist event, please contact me. You can send an email to blacktalkradiobaby at gmail.com. I need to know now because we are about to launch our fundraiser so that we can um, uh, uh, pay for our rooms and our transportation up there. We also need to get some cases of bottled water. It's going to be a long, hot day out there, I imagine. And so we want to take some bottled water uh, with us. And so I need to know how many people from the Carolinas want to join us so I can determine how much money we need to raise based on how many rooms we need and the type of vehicles that we need. And I would also like to thank all of those uh, who called in and shared information, especially pertaining to the situation that Rob is facing up there in Milwaukee. And uh, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for providing him with that information and others who may listen or listen, listen now 
heard you tonight or we'll hear you later on the podcast because you probably helped them too because these situations are not isolated events. Max? Yes, sir. Uh, I reflect everything that you just said, Scotty. Uh, Extremely so. Also, keep in mind, I'm in Ohio today. Uh, Come and see us with the People's Justice Project and uh, check us out at the viewing of the 13th and our panel discussion. So if you're in Ohio, come and check us out. You can go to the People's Justice Project on Facebook and look up the information. In the coming weeks, Brother Yusuf Yusuf Hassan has said that he will take the time to make sure that each week he'll make a presentation for the Bill of Rights and the amendments within and explain them in a five-minute period and take a question or two. So we'll be looking forward to that in the coming weeks on New Abolitionist Radio with Brother Yusuf Hassan explaining the Constitution and the amendments within. Uh, I guess I'll close it out like I always close it out, Scotty. Got to keep in mind, we all talk about revolution, but abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, 